Hey Mason, did you know that on July 1st, Yahoo Domain Renewal Pricing increased to $34.95 per year? $34.95 per year? No way! Ridiculous! That's not a deal at all! You're right, it's not, and I do need a deal. You need a deal? I got the deal you need, Andy! Check this out! Transfer your domain to GoDaddy for as little as $6.99 and get a free one-year extension plus guaranteed renewal pricing. GoDaddy.com makes transferring easy and offers loads of extras including hosting, a five-page site builder, and much more. Oh, yeah! Plus, as a listener of MuggleCast, enter code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E, when you check out and save an additional 10% on any order. Some restrictions do apply. I want you to see the site for the details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy. This is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to Mugglecast, hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce Mugglecast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because how could we not have an episode on Halloween? This is MuggleCast episode 161 for October 31st, 2008. Alright, we're here for MuggleCast episode 160. Elisa's here. Good morning, Elisa. Thanks. Good morning. Laura's here. Good <laughs> afternoon, Laura. Thank you. And Mike is here. Hi, Micah. Well, I don't get good evening. Wow, good you evening, sounded Micah. so unhappy about that. Well, I don't get good evening. <laughs> hey, Micah. And also here, joining me in the MuggleCast studio, it's been a while, Ben Shane. Hey, everybody. I'm back. I'm, I'm live here in Southern California. I'm, I'm out of school this week. Came out to see Andrew. What do you think of the MuggleCast studios? It's very impressive. He has a he has a very nice setup here. I, I got a real microphone. I feel like I'm doing a radio show right now or something. Ben required that I deepen his voice prior to recording. No, whatever. <laughs> he was he was trying to deepen his because he got jealous of my voice. I thought there was too much of a contrast, so we had to deepen voices. Anyway, so now we're good. We got our EQ set. Um, we got a lot to get to this week. This is our Halloween themed show. We got some Halloween stuff going on for everyone this week. And a lot more. So I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Micah Tannebelt. And I'm Elisa Montford. Micah, what is in the news this week? There's not a whole lot in the news this week, Andrew. And uh, in fact, it's, it's kind of so disappointing. Um, it really is. But I guess one of the things that we could talk about was that uh, Scholastic allowed their employees to do a little bit more of an in-depth interview and uh, give away some of the secrets behind the Harry Potter series in terms of how everything gets put together. 
And uh, yeah. we have three questions here that um, some of the people over at Scholastic were willing to answer, and I guess we'll go through all three of them. Do you want me to uh, take the first one, or do you want to go ahead? Sure, go ahead, go ahead. These were interesting because it, it sort of came out of the blue. I, I don't know if like Scholastic was like, oh, it's a really slow time in news. I guess maybe we, we should do something. Yeah. We should contribute for once. Maybe they just wanted to one-up Warner Brothers since Warner Brothers, you know, took the movie away. So they decided we'll give people some inside information on the Harry Potter series. What a great replacement for the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they they do what they can. I mean, they can only do so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, I'll read the first question. It was from Rachel Kuhn, director of marketing. She said, in your opinion, what has been the best idea for marketing Harry Potter? And she wrote, the most brilliant idea came from Joe Rowling. For Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Joe wanted to make sure that every fan had the opportunity to read the book at the same time. Strict on-sale date was established. This date is what led to the midnight parties and the unified celebration worldwide. And that was um, pretty interesting because, you know, to think that it was actually Joe's idea to – um you know, put the books on sale at the same time so you could have that sort of big celebration, which is really defined the Harry Potter fandom. Yeah, you know, the, everyone, when people think of Harry Potter, they think of lining up outside your local bookstore at midnight and yeah. kids dressed in robes and stuff. Yeah. And, and now all the now all the books do it. The yeah. Twilight, Aragon, there's all these big series. Well, it's just a great thing because those are the moments you remember. Mm-hmm. Next question comes from David Saylor, a creative publisher at Scholastic. Each book has a different dominant color. How did you decide what co- which color would be good for each book? This is David answering. David answering, my bad. For most of the books, I had a color scheme in mind based on something that came through in the story. For example, on Harry Potter and Order of the Phoenix and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, there were specific scenes in the book that dictated the color palette that Mary and I wanted to use. Because J.K. Rowling's descriptions are so clear and easily imagined, it wasn't hard to come up with a color scheme. And from the beginning, the palette of the books was based on the jewel, st- the jewel tones of Mary's artwork. Ruby, ruby reds, deep amethyst purple, dark sapphires, and emeralds. Mm. And um, it, I thought the cover stuff was some of the most interesting because um, there's a lot involved in deciding these covers. There's nothing much to really say with these, is there? Yeah. <laughs> well, the first one, the first one was worth talking about. Yeah. What about this last one? Andrew, you read yeah. it. Come on, dude. All right. Uh, and the last one was also to David Saylor. It said, the, cover, the covers changed a lot from Sorcerer's Stone to Deathly Hallows. Was that a conscious decision? If so, why? And this is something I always wondered because they went from the multicolored covers to the one color and then back to multiple colors. And he said, the biggest change in covers came from Order of the Phoenix, where Mary and I thought that a more monochromic look was good for the book based on a particular scene in a revolving room that emphasized the blue candlelight glowing all around Harry. This was also the first book where it felt that Harry was truly growing into um, the man he would become. He was feeling angry for various good reasons, and the tone of the book became uh, began to get more intense. If it felt like a shift in the cover was the right thing to do, it felt like a shift in the cover was the right thing to do for Order of the Phoenix. Man, after that, I don't even need to see the movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you, you think they, like, nobody ever, like, complained or anything, but it it was such a huge change. I mean, the series, just how the series had the multiple color, colors, and then they went to that one. Yeah. I would almost think that must have been a hard decision to make, because mm-hmm. then the covers don't I, I think really. people ultimately care more about the content and what's inside the book than yeah. what's on the cover. Um, yeah. But... That's just my opinion. There was a lot of discussion sparked when that cover came out. 
Really? Yeah, I remember just like, I mean, this was before I worked on MuggleNet, but I remember reading the comments and people were going crazy, like wondering what this meant. So it was definitely a pretty big thing for people. Yeah. Yeah. We don't overanalyze. It's close to cutting back. It's probably cheaper for them to print and, you know. It's the same color palette. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's what they were Ooh. doing. God, these people, all they ever think about is money. Those cheapos. Andrew's on to it. <laughs> um, so that was really it. There's a, there's a lot more. It was kind of funny in these interviews. The same questions were asked pretty much of each person. And they always ask the question, um, did you get to read the book early? And like four out of six said, oh, no, nobody can read them early. But there's like two people who were like, <laughs> yeah, I got to read it early. Yeah. <laughs> They, they probably now they're going to be sued. It looks kind of weird. Kind of looks strange. It's kind of shady because I, I bet some of them were like, "Oh, we're not supposed to say that." I don't think. Yeah, the other ones. Yeah. <laughs> we broke the embargo. Oh yeah. no. Um. So that was really it. There wasn't much other news to discuss this week. Um. Yep. Sorry to I, say, isn't it's that been right? Very, very very slow. I would say over the last couple of weeks, it's just little things here and there, but nothing uh, worth talking about. Unfortunately, doesn't it? And. Ins- uh, seem unreal now that Half-Blood Prince would have been released in just a month. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, for sure. It would have been a lot busier. You know what I mean? A lot busier. Like, we, yeah. we'd be getting ready for a premiere. There'd be there'd be more than just the one <laughs> short trailer. Yeah. Yeah. How many pictures have been released? <laughs> Thousands at this point. Well, all these, uh, too many. Too many? <laughs> yeah. Well, because, like, from all the the sticker books and all that, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, I've, I've seen a lot. I was wondering if it a lot, a lot. I saw you have a folder. You're collecting them all. You yeah. just browse through them when you're bored. Yeah, I hear. I hear Mike is actually like papering his walls with all these Half Blood Prince pictures. He loves them so much. Is that true, no. Mike? <laughs> Maybe a little God, bit. God, you couldn't even play along with me. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> well, thank you, Micah, for that news. Hey, so, uh, speaking of Micah, um, Ben, would you like to oh, do the honors? Their first announcement. This is such a wonderful announcement. I'm very happy to make it. Micah Tannenbaum joined MuggleCast back in 2005. And initially, he you started off just, just transcribing, right, Micah? Yep. And then you started doing the news. And then he moved over to helping on the main site. And he's been around quite a while now. And he has now earned the status of senior staff Aww. at MuggleNet. So congratulations, congratulations. Micah. Congratulations. Very, we are Micah. all so proud of you. Senior you've, you've earned member. it. Oh, he's thank earned you. It, folks. Ben, I heard you, you were really excited about this, too. Andrew was telling me uh, about your email. I had um, to oh, check yes. with the senior staff to make sure this was a good decision. And what did you write? I wrote that I strongly support this decision. I strongly support this decision. <laughs> because then, Mike is the man. Then Jamie came to me and said, I can't believe he said it like that. He's trying to be so businesslike. <laughs> looking, I miss Jamie. Looking at my I think first, we all do. <laughs> I'm looking at my first email from Mike. It was, it was uh, transcript, first transcript he sent to me. Dated August 14th, 2005. So, wow. Congrats, Mike. Too many typos. Over three count. years ago. That's <laughs> Just kidding, Micah. Yeah. What'd you say? Micah, I, said, I said your first transcript had a lot of typos, but I was kidding. <laughs> but, Mike, I have a did. question. When, uh, when you first started transcribing, was it hard for you? Like, how, how long did it take you to differentiate between the voices? Was there, was there any two that like, confused you or anything like that? Um, well, I think the thing to keep in mind was back then it was only three people. Um, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, and maybe you and Kevin a little bit. Andrew definitely uh, was Don't easy to me. differentiate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess by saying oh, Andrew was easy mean. to differentiate, he had a higher pitched voice than yeah. you or Kevin. So, well, thank you. Um, yeah, he's a, 
I miss but, Kevin. Well, when's the last time Kevin's been on our episode? A few weeks ago. About a month or two. All right. So uh, moving along, we have another exciting announcement, and that's that uh, MuggleCast will be at Azcatraz 2009. We are going to be doing a special podcast event. So here's what's happening. The movie comes out the 17th. Azcatraz starts on the 18th. So this worked out beautifully for Azcatraz. So what they're going to be doing is having a midnight viewing of Half-Blood Prince on July 17th. Night of the 16th, but the 17th. And then follow, immediately following the pod, uh, the movie, the first time all these Harry Potter fans are seeing the movie, so it's going to be really exciting, we are going to be doing a post-Half-Blood Prince live podcast where we discuss the film. Yeah. yeah. So oh, that's going to be gonna so be cool. fun. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds actually quite exciting. Because this midnight viewing is going to be with diehard Harry... Like, when you go to midnight viewings, they're pretty diehard fans, but... Midnight viewing at a Harry Potter convention. Oh, that's man. that's a whole new level. That's, that's just pure madness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and magic. Oh, so uh, more details will be announced about that soon. But for now, um, we do recommend you sign up. We you register for Azkaban. It's going to be a great event. It's in San Francisco. Ben, where I were, Ben and I were talking about it yesterday. Ben will be there. Everyone will be there. Everyone well, when here. is it? Uh, <laughs> it's July eighteenth. <18th. laughs> oh, July eighteenth. Okay, that's when the movie comes out. They yeah, seventeenth. They, they pushed it back. Right. <laughs> right. Do you, do you want to talk about that? Isn't that new? Uh, it's a little odd. Oh, yeah. Darn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But, um, yeah, so sign up for Ice Cream HPEF2009.org, I believe, is the URL. So do, do, can, no, we tell them, can we tell them where the podcast is happening? We don't know yet. Oh, we're not doing it on Alcatraz? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Let's make a petition for Let's it. Um, Dude, they no, are. They no. may be doing something on Alcatraz. Al- I, I, I heard there might be like a Wizard Rock on Alcatraz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know if they've is, announced is, is that. Yet. Is that inside information? That is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to register, you go to hp2009.org, um, and then they have links there to register. Um, in the referral area where it says, you know, oh, how do you hear about us? Put MuggleNet or MuggleCast. That's that's really important, so they know where you came from. So. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, the Ministry of Magic elections are still rolling along. I think we completed our first primary this past week, and Hermione absolutely destroyed the competition. Um, in but all brings of the, the races. question: Do you really think she's old enough? You think she has the experience? Um, well, because we're, I, I think the what we're trying to tell people is that you're voting for Hermione today. So how old should, would she be? Like young twenties, right? No, late twenties. Late twenties. Okay, so yeah. All right. Yeah, but does she have the experience? Oh, she may. She may. I think she does. Is uh, who else is running against her? It w- it, it was Hermione versus Lucius, and Hermione won by what was it, ninety one percent? Yeah. So, That's like, which is weird because Lucius had won the round before. So who did who did he beat? Who did he beat, Micah? He beat uh, Dolores Umbridge, which wasn't much competition obviously yeah, I guess not. Oh, yeah wow but uh hermione took out harry in her first round with um you know a pretty high percentage of the vote yeah too. i was surprised oh, really? about no, that that's interesting i think i think i think mm-hmm. i thought people would have been all harry's the man the closest tie so far has been between kingsley and minerva a uh, kingsley one with 55 percent. so that was Ooh. a tight race no not I'm, not really 10 percent margin is pretty I guess, big i guess pretty big. i guess but compared to the other ones, where it's eighty percent, seventy five, ninety one. <laughs> so who is but, it um, then this week? It's going to be Kingsley against versus Molly. 
So, so is are we having our real election November four? Yeah. 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 Oh man, the the, the general election. Yep. Uh, also, I just want to do a quick update on uh, Teddy Bears for Hope. We, I think we raised around fifteen or sixteen hundred dollars for this, which translated into about a little over three hundred uh, bears, and uh, we started getting them out to a number of different places. Um, we've sent out as of right now about a hundred and ten. Uh, so we still have plenty left. Um, and we're looking into places that they can go out to. The The first batch of, of 30 went to the American Red Cross in uh, Syracuse, New York. Um, and uh, the next 30 went to – I had to look up actually what this stood for, which uh, is the International Medical Equipment Collaborative. Um, nice. Care of the International Relief and Development uh, section of that organization. Basically, what that means is that it goes uh, to overseas um, orphanages, um, particularly this one, which is based out of North Andover, Massachusetts, is most likely going to go to Iraq. Mm, so, wow. orphanages in Iraq, uh, 30 will go out there, and then 50 went to the Hudson County Child Advocacy Center in Jersey City, New Jersey. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, so it is. We hope with, with some of these places we can get some pictures and things like that so we can post it on the site and show that the money actually went to a worthwhile cause. And uh, we still have plenty more, probably around 200 that we need to find places for. But it's it's been a tremendous success up to this point. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Good work, Micah. Okay, well, let's Thanks. get this back to Harry Potter talk. Uh, let's get into Muggle Mail now. First one comes from Faye, age 17. She reads, Hi, I really enjoyed your discussion on the after aftermath of the Battle of Hogwarts, but was disappointed by the fact that Snape was hardly mentioned. Who went back for his body? Was a funeral held for him? If so, who would have attended? Where would he be buried? What sort of recognition would he receive later in later years? Just wanted to know what you guys think. Um, so, yeah, Snape was a very important part of that whole area of um the book so okay uh he got recognition because harry right. named one of his kids albus severus that's true yeah so there's his recognition but like maybe some recognition in the school like or a special award a special yeah. award or a nice portrait <laughs> or, or, or like or was snape's story no harry untold? cleared his name snape, uh, yeah i think is it, is snape's he... story jk rowling did say that he would have made sure that people knew snape's story and that he wasn't um, as bad as everyone thought he was. Hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, back, back to the matter, Snape, Snape, like, ultimately was heroic, but he still was kind of a, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know like, what you mean. I mean, I hate to talk bad about the dead, but yeah. <laughs> it's just Snape. Yeah. Um, uh, what about these questions that she um, put in here? Who went back for his body? Was a funeral had, held for him? I hope some a, a very nice funeral was held for him. Although, you know, we were talking about all these different people who died. You know, did they do just one big funeral or what? I'm sure there was some kind um, of great... A mass there was, funeral? Well, not, yeah. Maybe not a funeral, <laughs> but I'm sure there was like a, a large memorial service. But I don't know. I would think that people's individual families would handle their funerals. And I mean, obviously, Snape has no family. So, I don't know. You know how sometimes people get buried with like like some of their favorite things? What, what do you think Snape would get buried with? Hmm. Not yeah. shampoo. <laughs> uh, he get uh, buried with uh, 
with Snapecast on his iPod. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next email is from Andrew, 18, from Nashua, New Hampshire. <laughs> What's so funny? Nashua. Hey, Mugglecasters. I was wondering what you guys think about Fred's funeral and where and when it would have taken place. And speaking of funerals, instead of including Dumbledore's in the sixth film, could they not merely end the film with a shot of the tomb? I think it would be a simple yet powerful ending. In response to the debate in episode 159, I would have to agree with a point that Eric brought up. Perhaps not a wizarding picture of Voldemort, but something I feel should have been should be done at Hogwarts to remember his example. There is so much to be learned from Voldemort's example, after all. As Dumbledore put it, the next time you have to choose between what is right and what is easy, remember what happened to someone like Cedric Diggory. Remember is the key word. And yes, Voldemort did many terrible things. I don't want to sound grim, but sometimes it takes some terrible things to really be bring about change. Yeah, but I mean, couldn't just learning, learning about him? Like- well, I think I think Cedric, Cedric Diggory is an example. Like, remembering Cedric Diggory is something that, like, that should be always be like, they should always, like, you know what I mean? They should have something at Hogwarts dedicated yeah, to course. Cedric Dig- Diggory. Yeah. And that's going to remind people of the of the destruction that Voldemort did. Like Cedric Diggory is a positive example because he was a kid who was taken away in his prime. Whereas if you put up a statue of Voldemort, it's kind of like, you know what I mean? It's like the diary of Anne Frank. That that's what uh, that's what Cedric is in this situation, and Hitler is Voldemort. And you're not going to go to, you know, Germany. You're not going to go erect a statue of Hitler. You know that's not going to happen. And you get Hogwarts, you can't put up something of Voldemort. Yeah, you put up something that can represent that that conflict that happened like Cedric though. Yeah, I agree. Me too. Uh, that's that's what we said last week. I mean, in the debate in particular, we referenced, you know, putting up a picture of Hitler in a synagogue or Osama bin Laden at 9-11 memorials would kind of be the comparison of putting Voldemort up uh, mm. in some form of remembrance at Hogwarts. I just thought the really funny thing about this rebuttal was she mentioned uh, that she had to agree with a point that Eric brought up and Eric wasn't even part of the debate. (laughs) (laughs) Just goes to show how much uh, Eric likes to talk. (laughs) Do you think that, uh, do you think that people still have a a problem saying Voldemort's Mm, name? Nah. Do you still think these references, Hugh, it must not be named or since he's gone now, and they no longer fear we, him. We've never had a problem saying his name. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> people in the wizarding world. <laughs> I think people wouldn't be afraid to. They'd be, they're, they're extremely excited that he's dead. So, and they, because I think when they said the name, they feared that he would appear. Yeah. Or it could also be generational too. You know? Like perhaps some people who grew up during oh, Voldemort's yeah. reign wouldn't want to say it, but then maybe more progressive people would, and like younger people would as well. So. Yeah, it's sort of like when it, when a really bad thing happens in the world, like you you don't like in our world you don't joke about it, like nine eleven when that happened. Yeah, you don't joke about it. But ten years Ooh. ten years later, oh, you don't joke about yeah. it, but you sort of start talking about it. Yeah. Like yeah, because it's time heals all wounds. Right, right. So true, Ben. So true. <laughs> okay. Um. Next email. Andrew, I know you said you were joking, but I couldn't resist. It's a bit morbid, but come on, at least I didn't suggest sushi. Bad Micah. So uh, top 10 reason, top ten things uh, that happened to Voldemort's body. Number 10, he was sent to the love room in the Department of Mysteries. We were told he combusted as soon as it was brought in. As soon as he was hey, brought in. <laughs> why, why isn't this Ben Shane's top 10 list? Go ahead, you do it. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'll do it. Number 9, it was sent to Borgen and Burks and sold as human snake. Oh. <laughs> 
Number eight, he was stuffed and used as a target for aura training. <laughs> nice, I like that. <laughs> Number seven, he was buried beside his father with a gravestone that simply said, Tom. Wow, that's kind of <laughs> sad. <laughs> right. Number six, he was handed over to centaurs. We're really not sure what happened after that. Hey, now. Right. Same thing that happened to Umbridge. <laughs> Number five, he was thrown to the Inferi in the cave. Ew. Mm. Inferi, are you scared of Inferi, Andrew? Is it Inferi? A little bit. Inferi? 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 I don't Inferi. know. It depends on how Inferi? you interpret it. Yeah. Number Inferi. four, he was reanimated to sing Weasley is Our King while doing the hippogriff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to see him doing the hippogriff. <laughs> Well, he did actually down in uh, Dallas, Texas at Portis 2008. Oh, that's oh, right, yeah. Who, did you guys see a guy who looked like Voldemort? Yeah. Yeah. The he, guy, was, the guy, he, he was at our house. Yeah. Night. He was at our house. I say our house. Like, yeah. we live together you, now. You're my I'm moving in. I'm moving in here. <laughs> Number three. His. His re his reanimated corpse was placed in the Aura's office to the constant amusement of Ron. Hermione wouldn't let him bring it home. <laughs> Number two, they forgot about his body in the broom closet, and a blind filch found it. Why is he blind? Years later, because <laughs> yeah, he got old, dude. Yeah, well, he just goes blind. Okay. And the number one thing that might have happened to Voldemort's body is Filch mumbled about stupid st- students and hung Voldemort by his toes in the dungeons. Da, da, da. <laughs> that was from Myra. Hope he didn't. Uh, I don't think we ever said a name. Um, all right, and the last email for the day is actually pretty interesting. And Laura, I almost sent this rebuttal into us, but luckily somebody else did. Um, says hi, everybody. Okay, I know that this is completely unoriginal, but I love your show. Listening to MuggleCast is one of the highlights of my week. Uh, this week, as I was listening to your podcast, Micah mentioned that Scholastic was coming out with a school edition of Harry Potter. Somebody then proceeded to say that studying the books in school would make them get sick of them. Well, I'm here to tell you that studying HP in school does not make you sick of the books. In fact, it makes you love them even more. In past spring, I was lucky enough to be a part of a senior elective class, AP Harry Potter. We read a book every week of the course and met for three-hour time slots weekly to discuss the books. Every member of the class had to write a 10-page paper on the books and present to the class about their findings. Uh, my paper on food in the series was the basis for our guest MuggleCast podcast this past spring when I recorded for you uh, for your contest with my sister, Lindsay. After studying the books in depth for eight weeks, I can only say that I love them more than ever. There's uh, so much that my class was able to discuss, and there are many details that I never picked up on or never thought about in a certain way that I can now consider in a different light. Kids who get to study these books in school are so lucky. I envy them for getting to read all the books for the first time. You sure rocks, and so do all of you. So, Laura, you actually said this in the show, and I didn't realize it when we were recording, but you had said that um, people would get bored of the books if they're read in school. Do you really think that? Or were you joking? Or I don't remember saying that. I think I'm gonna. Yeah, I don't recall. You I think did, I'm gonna you pull. Did. I'm gonna pull a Ronald Reagan here. I don't. I don't recall what you're talking about. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, you did say that, and I was oh, like, "What? Okay. I don't know. Maybe you were re- re- talking about something else." Well, were we debating? Because like, no. gen- I don't. <sighs> no, we were talking about in the you news know- the the school edition of Harry <laughs> Potter, and you're like, "Oh, kids are gonna get bored of them if they're in school anyway." I don't know. I feel like you said it too, though. I said yeah, but I wasn't listening. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you don't listen when Laura talks? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. I, I don't think know what I'm trying to say. What happened was uh, Laura was saying, "Wouldn't it be really weird 
um, because our kids are going to read the Harry Potter series, you know, years from now. And Maybe. Yeah, I remember it'll almost be that. mandatory for them to, to do it in school. And I think that's, you know, why it came up. And she mentioned that they may not like the series because it's almost force fed upon them as opposed to, um, you know, having the option to read it themselves. Yeah, thank okay. you, Micah. Thank you for remembering what I uh, said. Because <laughs> I'm clearly clue free. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more later in the show. Yes, yeah. we have a debate prepared about I'm that. I'm going to further incriminate myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is our Halloween episode. Did I say that email is from Renee? I don't know if I did, but thank you, you did Renee, for that. Okay. Um, so uh, we're going to do uh, some Halloween talk for our main discussion this week. Um, set, the, set the mood here first. Okay, that's better. So... Um, Oh my god. Every episode we discuss, uh, every Halloween episode, we do some Halloween talk. And um, Micah thought it would be a good idea to take a look at the things we predicted in episode 61, which was, I guess, our second Halloween episode. Um, we were making predictions about book seven. So uh, I have these clips prepared now, and we're going to listen to a few of them. And we also have a nice one from Laura at the end that we can uh, dig into for a minute. Okay, so we'll go back in time here. We'll listen to um, this this first clip. This was uh, our prediction of uh, why ghosts stay at Hogwarts. Oh, wanting to stay at Hogwarts. That has to be a decision yeah. that's up to the headmaster. And I mean, I, mean, I would think you would really have to have been a great student yeah, at the school yeah. in order, you know, for Dumbledore or whoever to say, you can stay in my school. Is it up to Dumbledore, though? Do you really think he has that much control well, the over current, the school? The the current headmaster? Peeves is in the school, and it doesn't seem like it's too easy to get rid of him. No, well, that's because Dumbledore wants to go around. Exactly. Already, no, I, I think no, that... No, no, no. no. Dumbledore think, won't oust him. They've said that. Of course, that's true. Yeah, I know, yeah. but I mean, I don't think that Dumbledore can say, tell a ghost to get out of, of his school. Of course he can. He's so, so powerful. It's, it's so powerful, it's ridiculous. But, um... Okay. God, wait for everybody to, like, rain all over my parade there. God. <laughs> Laura, you've come a long way since then. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thanks. I'm sorry. I'm, I sorry. I'm sorry. So, I guess we didn't really learn more about that in Book 7, right? Not no. really. Then how, that was why a was lie. That a well, it was just because... a discussion. Well, yeah. well, no, but Joe was saying that we were going to learn more about ghosts, and we never really did. Okay, well, how about uh, this next question we answered, which was, what happened to the Bloody Baron? Bloody Baron. Um, how do you guys think the Bloody Baron died? Yeah. He got hacked to pieces, considering all, all the blood on him. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> or he slipped over a, a who... blood factory and ba- banged his head on the ground and died, and then that's why he'll die. <laughs> <laughs> Well, whose or what blood do you guys think is on him. It's described as being silver. Yeah, do you think he's it belongs to unicorn? Unicorn? I think yeah. it's I think it's silvery just because he's a ghost. Yeah. I mean, they're white and transparent. I think the blood's just silvery because of the composition of a ghost's body. All right, Laura. All right, Laura. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and the last one, should we do that? What the impact of the gray lady? Well, yeah. I mean, they kind of go hand in hand together, so we could do that. Okay. Uh, so this is when we discuss uh, the impact of uh, the, the Grey Lady. Final house ghost, um, the Grey Lady from Ravenclaw. She, we really don't know a whole lot about her. Uh, we don't really see her that much uh, in the books. 
But, Jamie, maybe you know something about this. There are various Grey Lady ghost stories that exist in London. Um, Is that true? I have heard a few, yeah. Lady Jane Grey was the great-granddaughter of Henry VII, and she reigned as queen, but she was actually uncrowned, and she only reigned for nine days, which is, you know, absolutely nothing. And then I think she was beheaded at the Tower of London. So, yeah, that's why her uh, ghost, is, you know, is reported to haunt it. But she other haunt, she is uh, supposed to haunt other castles as well in different places, haunted places. So, uh, I mean, is there anything there? Like, maybe... Maybe the Grey Lady was only at Hogwarts for nine days, and then she got killed. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, yeah. <laughs> Bit unlikely, and then Dumbledore maybe. Dumbledore bad for her, so she was like, come be a house yeah, guest. Yeah. Then... Well, well, don't worry. What about Professor Benz? How can he... Well, can we stay on top of Grey Lady first? Yeah, Ben, then... yeah, Ben. Uh, <laughs> Not literally, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah. so we just fall through and hit the ground. So it's possible that Joe took the name from there. Oh, I'm sure she did. Yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, that's... yeah well... There's really no doubt behind that. And that would probably be the most reasonable explanation. Yeah, and but she's a very mysterious ghost. We, uh, I think, we hear once that she was floating by or something like that, but we don't hear anything about her. Perhaps we'll find out something new in book seven. I think she's in Half Blood Prince, if I remember. They said some ghost went by as Harry was talking to Hagrid about overhearing the conversation between Snape and Dumbledore. Mm. She seems to be around it kind of interesting times because they said in the movie for Chamber of Secrets and I don't know if this was in the books too, it was a scene that was cut out where um, it's the first time that Harry goes to open Tom Riddle's diary Yeah, and uh, he tells the grey lady to get lost. No he doesn't, does he? Hmm. Really? It's a deleted scene. Oh sorry, it's a deleted scene, I see. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. Um, why would they cut that? I mean, what was re- what was in so that, so that goes on and on. And wow, we were uh, we were pretty close there. I mean, Jamie in particular saying that we would learn something about her in book seven. Yeah, exactly. Um, now there's did. one more thing we discussed about on this episode, and um, I'll just play it. We're talking about um, where the final battle would be. <laughs> oh here's, God! Uh-oh. Here's Laura's thoughts. <laughs> oh God! Final battle will take place. I not, at Hogwarts. <laughs> yeah. not at Hogwarts. Not at Hogwarts. Oh, I my God. Should. No, every bad not, fan Laura? fiction I've ever read in my uh-huh. whole life, they have the final battle take place at Hogwarts, and then, like, no, first no, years no. are out fighting Death Eaters. It's ridiculous. No. I think it should be at Godric's Hollow. Yeah, oh, that would be good. Yeah. You guys want to cool at- So, Laura, do you, do, you, <laughs> do you regret your statement now, or do, do you still stand by that? No, no, I don't. I mean, she definitely... Um, made it fantastic. Like I, I completely loved the way she did the final battle. Um, I think the problem now. was, <laughs> hey, hey, I admit, okay, I admit, I admit, I was an ass. Okay, no, 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 was- no, no. I mean, I mean, it doesn't mean you're wrong though, because I love the way she did it too, and I thought it turned out wonderfully. But it doesn't mean you're wrong because you're saying that every bad fan fiction is like that. It was yeah, true. It's she's true. not. She's not calling book seven a bad fan fiction. She's not doing no. that. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. No, because, like, seriously, these things would literally, like, they had, like, the students, like, uniting in, like, this battlefront on the front lawns of Hogwarts. And, like, it was just so cheesy. Like, every single yeah. one of them was the same. So when I thought of the final battle being at Hogwarts, I just imagined these fan fictions. And I was like, oh, God, please don't do it. <laughs> because wouldn't I thought it, it was going to be awful. But no. Wouldn't it be awesome if Joe wrote fan fiction? 
She may. Maybe she does. Some rejected chapters from Harry Potter show up on uh, Muggle that fan. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be bad if like uh, if she submitted something and it got rejected from someone's yeah. fan fiction site? <laughs> yeah. Well, there was one story actually on Muggle that fan fiction, and it pretty much got everything in Deathly Hallows down <laughs> pat. I mean, all the major plot points, and we rejected it. Um, not because of the the plot was bad, obviously, but um, just because it was poorly written. But still, afterwards, That'd you're like, funny. "Crap! I hope that wasn't um, Joe." That was like she went when she went in the Mugglenet chat room. and was giving theories, but nobody nobody liked them. Yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. everyone was like, "No, yeah. yeah, you don't know what you're talking about." And everyone was like, "No, Give us the no fail." So we we're like, "We don't have those." <laughs> um, I wish we did. Yeah. Okay, so. So that's what <laughs> happened with that. And, you know, in a way, it's almost like, um, Laura, the, the um, directors of the film sort of had the same feelings you did because they're not having a battle of Hogwarts and Half-Blood Prince just because there's one in TH. I mean, is that sort of what you, you're saying is that it would be repetitive, too? Was that one of your ideas? Well, or? no, it wasn't. Well, yeah, I mean, I was kind of talking about how, like, every showdown was sort of taking place at Hogwarts up until that point so i was at that point hoping that we were going to see something different i mean and also you have to remember i was a huge proponent of something big happening at the department of mysteries so i was really set on the idea of something major happening there and the thought that like it was going to be hogwarts instead really upset me but i'm over it now because i enjoyed it um micah do you want to take the discussion from here sure um well, I guess we want to stay with the Halloween theme, and it's it's kind of different than we have in the past couple of years because we we don't really have much of the of the stories to go on uh, in terms of predicting things and basing it off of of past books. But you know, this this is more of a general discussion, I guess. So let's start with if you had to decide what house you would be in based upon the house ghost, uh, which house would you be in, and why? I think I would be I would I would be in nearly headless Nick's and I, I'm kind of just going to base this sort of just on the movie, but it just seems like he's the most um, one definitely one of the nicest ghosts to get along with, and he seems so helpful and pleasant. Laura, I'd have to agree, or Ben, I'd have to agree. I think that I don't think you really get to see the other. You don't really don't, you really don't get to develop a relationship with the other ghosts like you do with Nick. You know, yeah, he's your boy. Harry's through Harry's inter- interaction with him. Well, I mean, I, I guess also, like, I'm sure the other students developed relationships with their house ghosts. Like, we just didn't see it, um, obviously, because the books are written from Harry's point of view. Yeah. But I don't know. It's hard to choose based on a ghost. I wonder if the ghosts really care to develop relationships with the students because... Um, they're dead. Well, they're dead, but, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to pass through the school and then they'll never see him again once they graduate. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I would be, I don't know, I'd be all about stalking the Bloody Baron, because he's cool. So, mm-hmm. Slytherin it is. <laughs> Elisa? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to go with uh, Nearly Headless Nick, just because he's, like, the most lively of the bunch. I just think he's the most fascinating, but now that feels like a really cliche answer, but... So, I guess I'll go with the Fat Friar, because um, I think and he's Micah. one of the few that would go with, or uh, that would try to well, form a relationship with the students, so... I, I may be... That'd be awesome. Would have to choose the Bloody Baron, but I mean, nobody's gone for the Grey Lady at all. But I guess that's just because, you know, she's uh, a little bit too far out there. But I'll go with the Bloody Baron. I like that choice. So do you guys think there is enough of the traditional Halloween characters in the series, such as the ghosts, the ghouls, the goblins, the werewolves, and the vampires, 
um, because it seems like some played a significant role while Joe just managed to fit them in. I mean, they didn't even really play that big of a role in the books. I mean, what do you guys think they Um, added to the series? I think they just sort of added, yeah. Right. Oh, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, well, but I Remus mean, is just a like werewolf. as a whole, were they were they trying to sort of set a theme in the books? I think it just set the atmosphere of the 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 fantasy setting. Like, I don't really see much purpose beyond that. I don't. I mean, I don't know if that's what you're asking, but yeah, basically, yeah, that was it. Yeah, Micah. Well, yeah. Well, I think what I what I was trying to get at though is it seems like where where you have Remus Lupin who's a werewolf, but then you kind of just have these other ghosts and ghouls like the ghoul that lived up in the Weasley's attic and the the goblins at a at a Gringotts and the vampires they very rarely make an appearance in this series. I agree with Laura that it that it set the tone just kind of having them around they didn't necessarily play a significant role but it seemed like she took only a few of those and made them important whereas the others were just kind of scenery you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but why do that i mean you have seven books why not make them more important to the central plot um well because you know why we've read them all now i mean it's it, like maybe around prisoner of azkaban you can argue that but they're 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 not that important. They don't really need to be. Yeah, and um, there's only like so many times that you can make the plot surround some magical creature. Like it would, I don't know. I, I think it would be weird if like you had you know the book with um, with Remus and the and being a werewolf, and then like in the next book you had someone being a vampire, and the book yeah. after that, you know, I think it would get old. <laughs> All right. Plus, yeah, I agree. I mean, if anyone could pull it off, it'd be <laughs> yeah. Joe, but. Really, I think if there had been too much of that, it just turned into a freak circus. And it would deter from the writing and from the plot anyway if she had purposely went out of her way to incorporate that. Yeah. And the uniqueness that is um, Harry Potter. Because it, w- it would be very generic to have a story about vampires and stuff. Um, and by keeping these people minor, uh, you don't, you don't, it's not really a generic story of vampires or werewolves. I think she balanced it perfectly. Well, speaking of vampires... Um... One of the main theories that was out there throughout the course of the entire series was that Snape was a vampire. And this theory was obviously absolutely crushed by J.K. Rowling. And I just want to know, I guess maybe even from Elisa, having read a ton of fan fiction, um, you know, what did you think when, when it was finally put to rest? Because I'm sure there were probably hundreds, if not thousands, of stories based solely on this. Yeah, no, there definitely were. Um, though, to be completely honest, I was never quite sure where that came from. Um, because a lot of the stories, anyway, the reasons that they use for... Uh, or the motive, rather, that they used for Snape being a vampire seemed a little arbitrary. I mean, they great, they were they made for great stories, but I didn't find that much canon um, to support it. A lot of the times, they would um, sort of use the whole Remus Lupin being a werewolf thing as as the basis for the plot, and you know, uh, Snape being a vampire, him being a werewolf, and the whole vampire uh, werewolf feud, and so like, that was usually from a fanfic perspective what you know how it came about. But um, in terms of it being a legitimate theory of him being a vampire, um, I wasn't quite certain where that came from. Uh, 
I mean, did any of it come from, there are a couple times in the series that she refers to him as being bat-like or having yeah. qualities well, let's like not that. forget even that Sorcerer's Stone Anniversary Edition, you know, she described him as, as somewhat looking like a vampire, but that that is Snape. It's just his appearance. Okay. One of the other theories that was out there that I know we spent a lot of time talking about, and Laura in particular, um, because of her love, <laughs> because of your love of the Department of Mysteries, um, Halloween being the day where the veil between the world of the living and the dead is at its thinnest and its role in Deathly Hollows. We did spend a lot of time talking about this in past shows and, uh, you know, it was kind of disappointing because it, it really ended up having the veil itself actually very little impact on the final book. Yeah, it like next to nothing. Yeah. I was so disappointed. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I remember discussing this. Didn't we do like a three part series? <laughs> we probably did. Yeah. I don't, on the no, Department of Mysteries. Yeah. yeah. And I remember we spent a long time talking about that. And I remember it was because, um, someone was theorizing that maybe Voldemort was going to fall on Halloween, that like it would go down on the same day it all started. Yeah. Because there was And I some... forget, I forget whose idea that was. Um, I don't know, but there were. I I had brought up a theory saying there was something related to Halloween where some veil was always the thinnest. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember we were talking about that? Well, yeah, that's that's like always been sort of a theory that like the the bridge between like the the world of the living and the dead is like you know at its shortest or at its thinnest on so, Halloween. Like you could theoretically like hear yeah. through it better maybe or look through. or it would allow people to cross over i guess i think that was our and at this point did we have the ti- did we have the title of the book we we probably did and there there were so I feel many like different things where... related to hollows at the time that we were yeah. analyzing that that probably did have something to do with it as well and i feel i feel like we heard hollows and then we like thought oh halloween you know right well, hollows yeah. yeah yeah i think that's where it was coming from yeah, that was it. That was exactly it. Yeah. So, so we such have... a different like where does this crap come from? Like where did we get this crap? <laughs> well, not <laughs> only that, and you want to go crazy. We spent that whole episode, Laura, I think it was you, me and Eric talking about the uh, Antipodean Opali, the dragon because we thought Oh that, my god, uh, yeah, yes. The dragon oh on the god. cover of the deluxe edition and <laughs> that means that I don't even know. We were talking about that Deathly Hollow symbol being yeah. Like reversing worlds or going through time or different ends yeah. of the earth, we were all. Oh, I remember. I remember oh, what what happened was that Eric was saying that the scenery on that cover looked like New Zealand. I wonder oh, yeah, why. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he's like, "Well, maybe they go to New Zealand." <laughs> <laughs> but like, you got to remember that's all we had to work with, so we had to discuss and pick apart every little pixel of those covers. I miss yep. that though. Those days were really fun great. because we yeah. really had no clue what was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's move along. Do you think J.K. Rowling intentionally made significant events happen in the series on Halloween after the Potter's death? Micah, could you elaborate a little more? Uh, do you want me to answer it, or you you want me to elaborate? Well, well, I think I think that makes sense because uh, you know it's all Hallow's Eve. It's a it's like kind of isn't it when the spirits come out of hell or something like that? Isn't yeah. that what it is? So I mean, if all his evil, all evilness is coming out, then 
some some bad stuff has to happen. Yeah. Well, it also just it also just sets a very um, interesting theme. You you just I think it's it's part of Joe's really descriptive writing. You you get feeling out of knowing that all this stuff is occurring on Halloween because we all know what Halloween feels like. That sort of spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. I think after the the Potter's death, um, she chose uh, to really make that a significant date in the series because if you look at all the different events, I mean, what happens on Halloween in, in the first book is that's when the trio really forms. It's when it, they come together to face the troll, and um, from that point on, at least through I think it's like the first four books, there are significant events that take place on Halloween. Yeah, I was just trying to remember, like, I don't know, I don't want to, like, backtrack too much, but, like, book one, it's the troll, and yep. then book two, Death Day Party, slash, whatever, they the find first the first attack. Yeah. yeah. Book three, Sirius broke into the castle. Book four, We had a main Harry, discussion on this, yeah. didn't we? Probably, yeah. I yeah, we, we did. did. I think we went over, like, everything that had happened. I think this was our first Halloween episode actually yeah. that we went and over all the stuff that happened on halloween that is what crazy was goblet of fire that was the actual harry uh, was chosen i think right, right. from the goblet. And then it nothing happened the last three books i don't think did you put your name in the goblet of fire <laughs> oh we're joined by michael gammon everybody yeah <laughs> I guess we could talk briefly about uh, it's obviously Rowling's favorite holiday. It's a day of both great triumph and tragedy for the wizarding world. Um, I guess the only real thing to say about that is just that it was the day that Voldemort met his match in Harry Potter. um, But it was also a day of of great tragedy because both Harry's parents were killed. That was kind of the only point that I was trying to make there. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. And uh, actually, somebody brought this up just before, but should Voldemort have fallen on October 31st? Uh, you know, would that have brought the story full circle uh, better than what happened? I think it was already full circle enough um, with um, Remus and Tonks's kid losing Remus and Tonks. So um, I think uh, it would have been cool, but I don't know if it would be necessary um, but I guess when you think about all the events that did happen on Halloween, um, it would have been pretty fitting. Although, if you think about it, let's see, they were school had started when they were still searching for the Horcruxes. So, do you think with the Harry Potter timeline in mind, um, like, um, you you wouldn't have been able to have a battle at Hogwarts really, um, in the way that she wrote it if you waited till Halloween. I don't think. Do you th- when did this happen exactly? Did it was it before Halloween? Yeah, I, well, I think so. Technically, was... no. Wait, the final battle at Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah, that was in like June. Like it was towards the end of the school year, I think. Right. So, so they had already passed. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm like, saying? Th- that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Is that they? It would have like the book started in like what July. Right. Probably, it would have been yeah. like it would have been a few months long. Yeah, it would have had to have been. Yeah. It would have had to have spanned two Halloweens in order for it to get to where we wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we would have passed the first Halloween where they were in the forest or something, and then the second one would have had to extend beyond the Battle of Hogwarts for it to 
actually be worth anything. But I, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't think that it would have worked well for, for her to have to write it that way. It didn't make sense. Okay, so I guess we're going to get into the fun portion of the discussion now. If you had to dress up to, as a Harry Potter character for Halloween, who would it be? I've already done it. I've been Harry. Dor, <laughs> how about you guys? Um, ben, who would you be if you had to dress up as a character for Halloween, Harry Potter character for Halloween? Rubius Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> you would fit the character well. Thanks, Andrew, because I'm a giant. I'm larger than life. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that way. Uh, I meant you're tall. That's all I meant. This is why I don't come on, Andrew. <laughs> oh uh, my gosh! <laughs> Mugglecast 160, larger than life. Should be a shit. <laughs> Micah, how about you? If you had to be one character, actually, let me let me guess. Let me guess. I would say you would want to be uh, Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I would guess you'd want to be Snape. Yeah, that might not be a bad character. I'm trying to think of like a really obscure character that would kind of fit. Dollish. <laughs> Dollish. I don't know. Well, here, we'll get back to you in a second. Uh, Lauren and Lisa, how, how do you guys you think about it, though, Micah? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really, I can't think of anything, but I will confess, I did dress up as Hermione for Halloween in fifth grade. Nice. Oh, well, so yeah, so you would want to, yeah. wow, fifth grade. Yeah. Wow. Nobody was really dressing up like Harry Potter back then. I was a. Well, like, I, 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 Laura, got, I think yeah. Laura's a trendsetter. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> she, right. she broke the mold. That's right. You should have copyrighted the uh, costume design before, before uh, WB got to it. Yeah. Really. What was I thinking? <laughs> My dumb eleven-year-old self. Like. Aww. <laughs> uh, Lisa, how about you? I can um, see you dr- dressing I up as Tonks. With... No. Tonks. Bellatrix. Yeah. Oh, Bellatrix. Bellatrix, ouch! What? It's not an insult. It's just a she's a badass. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, actually, I want to go with Hedwig. <laughs> no one ever thinks I'm of Hedwig. Be a Nimbus two thousand. <laughs> and then we would like, and then we would have to blow you up. Yeah, oh, I mean, he's oh, nothing no, more than a blasphemy. puff of feathers. Or she? No. <laughs> nothing yeah. more than a puff of feathers. <laughs> Actually, Thompson, I have a proposition for you. Uh oh. Who's, who's Thompson? Yeah, I was thinking about this, and if I wasn't going to be Hedwig, I would totally want to be Firenze. So, um, <laughs> you know how like those old fashioned, those old fashioned horse outfits? Like, could you? Would you please do me the honor of being my backside? Back <laughs> would you please do that for me? Uh, yeah, you know, I'll just go ahead and go book a flight right now. And fly out to England. It'll be yeah. fun. We'll like walk around the Oxford campus. Yes, seriously. <laughs> win. Come on out. Yeah, I think it would. That would totally work. Let's fun. do it. Maybe we'll run into Emma Watson, and yeah, she'll be really probably would. Her. Yeah, <laughs> scare the living daylights out of her. Girl talk on Michael Cast. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that that's our uh, Halloween main discussion for now. Hopefully, everyone join it. We'll be next year. Grasping for even more straws, unless Jake Rowling reveals something interesting in Beetle the Bard, maybe. When it comes to a Halloween discussion, I mean. Uh, next up, we have an interesting what if, and we haven't done this in a while. And when Micah originally suggested it, I wasn't sure if uh, it would offend people, but I don't think it's not offensive. Um, Micah, go ahead. Why don't you introduce it? Okay, well, the what if segment for this week <laughs> is what if J.K. Rowling were a man 
And I guess oh, the, I'm the, so offended. The, mm. the, the, no, but <laughs> the best two people to ask about this, I really did think were Laura and Elisa, because I would I'm interested in what their take would be if she were actually a man. And this was a man who was writing the series. Do you think there would be a different reaction to it? Do you think that um, the sales would have been different and maybe she would have had a little bit more success early on in her career um, when the series first came out? Um, I don't, I mean, I, how much more success can you ask for? I, I mean, well, we all know it, it didn't like... take off the way that it, it obviously blossomed into later on, years later. Um, yeah, yeah, and... but I think that's I think that's just being an author, though. I mean, well, you did... go to any famous author; they didn't just most of them didn't just like take off overnight. I I don't know that it's gender specific. Well, didn't they specifically have her name? be changed to J.K. Right. Yes, Rowling on they the did because, book covers. Yeah. yeah, they did that because they thought that um, what was it? They don't think that there's some women study I don't know. Sell. Well, no, that's not it. They think that, that women readers um, don't discriminate based on sex, but that male readers aren't likely oh, to pick right. up books by female authors. Right. And so that's why they did it. But I mean, these are also the same people who changed the name of the first book in the U S because they thought American kids were too dumb to know what a philosopher was. So I was too dumb to know what a sorcerer was. <laughs> <laughs> Should have just kept it. It would have, would have been the same thing. Um, I think that, I think the biggest difference would be the writing style. Don't you think? Because there are differences between a man writing and a woman writing. And I think J.K. Rowling's extremely um, mm-hmm. clever writing style um, and her witty remarks from Dumbledore and all that, um, I think it's just, it's from J.K. Rowling's fe- feminine qualities. You know what I mean? Or am I way off? Yeah. Here? Well, no, no, no. I mean, I think there's something to be said for that fact, just because, like, if she were a man, she would obviously be a completely different person. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly the perspective would be different. Yeah. I don't think you would have as many um, powerful female characters, probably, as you do in this series. I mean, you look across the board, whether it's Hermione or Molly or even Umbridge and Bellatrix, um, they're very, very powerful. Ginny, too. Um, I don't know that you would have that in a book that was written by a man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It depends. I mean, mm, some men do write very par- powerful female characters. Just depends on the guy, I guess. Yeah, um... Yeah, I don't know. I'm tempted to speculate on a whole host of things that might have been different, including what Micah was saying about strong female characters. But honestly, I feel like it wouldn't make much difference at all. And uh, I hate using such a loaded word, but I, I feel like feminism is about equality, not being better or being worse or even different intellectually, just equal. So I don't think it really matter. I don't feel like the character she created or the plot she created or the atmosphere or the level of creativity, um, I don't think any of that is gender specific. And I think the books would have been just as good and had all the same positives or negatives um, if yeah. she were a That's man. That's what I learned in my, uh, my sociology class at school was that uh, in society we tend to think, like we tend to associate gender roles, like, you know, men are better at fixing cars or oh, women yeah. are better at doing this thing when the actual studies indicate that 
it's completely the opposite way that it's that gender doesn't matter right doesn't affect the quality of work yeah i think the only time it matters is in perception but don't they say perception is reality Mm, that's true i disagree though jackie rowling has always admitted that she's been shy she was very shy um you know as an author back in the 90s and she still kind of is now um do you think that would have changed at all I mean, and, no. and this is this is a tricky thing to step around because you know you don't want to come off like you're sexist or anything. No, or, I don't like, think you know, so. I only mean, women well. are shy, which is obviously not the case. I mean, look at Ben. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <so>. Hey, stop <laughs> yeah. insulting my gender. <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding, Ben. <laughs> um, what I think? Okay, here's here's what I think. Um, if we're like taking this and like we're assuming right that. It's exactly her, like, same person, just in a male body, right? Like, that's what we're saying. But then it's not her anymore. Right. Yeah. Like, same personality, like, same everything, like, carbon copied, but male. Okay. I don't know. How exactly should we put it, Mike? Like, what are we exactly talking about? Well, I think we've addressed some of the things. We've definitely talked about some of the things so far. I mean, in terms of her writing style, in terms of... You know, how the readers would choose to accept her or not accept her. Or maybe even, you know, would she be a more aggressive person? You know, would she be a little bit more arrogant? I mean, not that she – she's definitely not an arrogant person. You mentioned that she's very shy and reserved. But, you know, if you lend that quality to – or or rather, if you change the gender, does that change completely? I mean, is she somebody that – then doesn't donate to charity or doesn't, you know, do some of the things that J.K. Rowling has been known to do. Mm, I don't know. I mean, just like one of my favorite authors, Michael Connelly, is extremely shy. I mean, you see this guy interviewed on the news and he's like in shock. Like you can tell he's completely um, confused by by the idea that people like want to talk to him. And it's and I like it because it's very like humbling and you feel like that person actually deserves to be where they are. Um, but no, I don't think that shyness or any, any other personality trait like that is gender specific. Um, and I mean, I think assuming like what I was saying earlier, if we're just saying that she's the same exact person, um, just with a different gender, then I don't think anything would change. But at the same time, I do think that there are like, I mean, I personally feel like if, like, I had been born male, I wouldn't be the same person. I mean, it's like, I like, I would probably have some things that were different about me. So, yeah, but, mean, but for the sake of the argument, society, like, I was assuming. Society conditions yeah. you, though. Right. When you're, when you're born, when you're born male, uh, your crib, the sheets have to be blue. When you're a female, the sheets <laughs> have to be pink. And uh, <laughs> girls play with dolls and boys play with action figures. So, I played with Tonka trucks. That's just me, though. Yeah, but you're weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Good to be back. It's, it's great to have you back. All right, so is this what we've come up with? So if J.K. Rowling were a man, there really wouldn't be many differences. It's just, I, I mean, I, I, just think, I just think you can't tell because uh, – it's all like everything. Everything was everything was timing. You know what I mean? Like, it, like that's why that's why it was just, that's why Joe was successful is because she just every all the pieces fell into place in the right way. And you don't know that if she was a man that all the pieces would have fell the exact same way because 
her being a man completely changes who she is as a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because right. if you're, if you've had, like, you know, if you identify as being female and you identify as being male, you know what I mean? Clearly you're going to be different. So who knows if the book would have even been published to begin with if it was, if it was right. male. Or I it could agree. have been even more popular. Who knows? Yeah. Or it could have been Aragon. I think there would be oh, some God. changes in personality. Um, I mean, it's a very dicey books. subject. And, you know, yeah. like like oh, you said definitely. at the beginning, and, you know, obviously we're just trying to <laughs> come up with some sort of uh, ideas over <laughs> a very messed up topic. <laughs> it's not messed up. It's a fun topic. <laughs> we're shock jocks. All right. Well, it is time for our debate segment this week. And I'd like to thank all of you for, for coming here today. And I'll ask the audience to please be quiet during the debate. <laughs> Um, except for this time, when we welcome in our two sides uh, to argue whether the Harry Potter series or one of the seven books should be made mandatory reading in the U.S. public schools. Um, on the side arguing that they should be made mandatory, if I are Ben Shane and Elisa Monfort. On the side arguing that they should not be made mandatory are Andrew Sims and Laura Thompson. Uh, each That's side me. will have two minutes uh, to make their case, followed by a one-minute rebuttal period. Uh, ben and Elisa, you go first. You have two minutes, and your time starts now. Well, my friends, <laughs> I would just like to say that the, the impact that Harry Potter has on, on literacy is absolutely undeniable, and I have never met a single person who's read Harry Potter and said, "Man, I'm 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 I wish I never had done that." And the fact of the matter remains is that you continue to hear success story after success story of people who have read Harry Potter and gone on to read other things. And Harry Potter sparked their interest in reading, and it's been proven through through so many. You know, when we're at the end of these podcasts, doing these events, we'll talk to parents of kids who say, "You know, my my child didn't read before Harry Potter, and now it, it's helped them." You know become passionate about learning and passionate about education. And I think that if the Harry Potter books were made mandatory, that it would become, you know, you're going to spread that education and you're going to make that, you know, something that's important to these kids. And Harry Potter is a great hook to suck them in. Elisa, do you have anything to add? Um, yeah. Um, I just want to say that I, well, I agree completely. And I actually found a newspaper article, um, on this is London.com talking about Robert Mellor's primary school, um, which is in a depraved or uh, deprived area has jumped from the bottom 25% of schools in the UK to just outside the top 5% over the last three years alone after deciding to incorporate the Harry Potter books into their curriculum and making it mandatory reading in their English classes. So that's hard evidence of what Ben was just saying. And especially um, in the United States, where uh, we rank number 18 on literacy rates um, in the whole world with countries like Moldova and Lithuania um, being ranked higher than us, I think it's extremely important to make literacy and the Harry Potter books um, mandatory uh, reading and a higher priority in our education system. It is all about education, my friends. All right. Your time is up. Yeah, 40 million adults in the Andrew U.S. Laura, are functionally illiterate. Okay. Good so I said no students... clapping <laughs> by the audience. This Only one of the candidates entered. No, okay. your two minutes will start now, but please refrain the audience from clapping in your favor. I'll have none of All that right. in my debate hall. 
<laughs> okay. Well, thank you for having us here tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> Mr. So- Sims. <laughs> Stop making right. hand gestures to the crowd. Good. We're done. Good. <laughs> okay. So, first point. Students are notorious for hating books they're forced to read in school. One of the reasons that we all love Harry Potter so much is because we're allowed to find it at our own pace, as opposed to being able to force to have, being forced to uh, to have a certain amount of chapters read by a certain time. Why do that to kids? Why why would we possibly want to destroy the magic that we've gotten from Harry Potter by making it something mandatory? Furthermore, it's great and all if some schools are involving Harry Potter in their curriculum, but there are a number of ignorant people out there who would be adverse to allowing their children to participate in classes and which Harry Potter was being taught. And I don't sympathize with these people, but rather I don't think school should have to deal with the kind of distraction that could arise from several students refusing to take part in classroom activities. Like think of Laura Mallory, seriously, and think about where I live. People would definitely do it. Um, Furthermore, like I'm thinking of Chronicles of Narnia. Um, You couldn't possibly teach all of the Chronicles of Narnia in school. So they picked the first and most popular book and made everybody read it five million times to the point where no one wanted to read it anymore and i fear that this would also happen with harry potter go ahead andrew yeah you know there's something about making sure that um students read a book once you read a book you suddenly um lose it doesn't come it doesn't it's not as fun for you to to read that book and like Laura was saying, this would just spark a whole bunch of new debates over whether it would start, you know, fights in schools with parents versus, you know, the administrators saying, oh, you shouldn't allow my kids shouldn't be reading this. I don't want them to be reading this. It's sort of like with the uh, the flag, the American flag, uh, that one line, one nation under God, that sparked a whole thing because schools were making them say one nation under God. And, oh, well, you know, I'm atheist or support, uh, support a different religion. So. That's why it would just cause too much of an uproar. It's better off with people just simply reading it on their own time in a relaxing environment. All right. Um, ben and Elisa, you have one minute uh, rebuttal time. All right. Well, first of all, I'd like to point out that education is the value that we are saying that we should win on because education is the most important thing by far. And like I said, before I read the Harry Potter books, I absolutely hated them. I didn't think that I, I heard all about them and I hated all the hype about it. And then when I actually took the opportunity to read it, I loved it. And I think if you made people read these books, if it was, it can spark their interest in reading and that'll be the most important. On to your point about how the controversy that it would cause of having the books in classrooms. Fact of the matter is they're just books. Uh, they encourage children to read. The controversy would be more than worth it because education outweighs any controversy that could possibly be brought up. Not only that, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Huckleberry Finn are two books that are read a lot of times in uh, in classrooms, even though they may cause some controversy. It's like when a teacher shows a rated R movie, or movie, a movie that's you know rated R or something in a class. They just have to get the permission slip signed by the parents. It's it'll be fine if 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 kids can't participate. That's fine. That that's the that's their loss. But education wins here. Period. Larry, you want to start again? <laughs> All right. Uh, sure. Andrew and Laura, you have a minute for rebuttal. 
Okay, it's not that we don't think that Harry Potter has educational merit, because we do. But the problem is Harry Potter has been such an integral part in our lives, and it has allowed us to grow so much as people and have so many great experiences. And I would frankly hate to see for my children to bring this book home from school one day and be like, oh, I have to read this dumb Harry Potter book because my teacher's making me do it. I want my kids to be able to pick up those books and find the same magic that I found in them. And I didn't find that by being forced to read it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's thirty it's, seconds. People can you just cannot enjoy a story when when you're being forced to read it. And if parents like Ben was saying that if your your parents you know sign a permission slip or saying sign saying they sign something saying that uh, they can't read this book, um, that's that's just not acceptable um, because then those Ten kids seconds. are losing out on an education when they all could be reading a book that they agree on. That concludes our debate for this evening. Um, Micah, who do you think won? Well, this is a very interesting topic. I'm I'm not going to uh, call it my inquisition as Eric did last week and and spend a lot of time discussing. I I think both sides raised uh, very good points. Um, The the one thing that I was a little bit concerned about, and and obviously you do have to base – your, your opinion strongly on your own experiences, but, um, you know, worrying a little bit about your own personal experience with the series, um, I thought you can't really use that as a basis for, you know, the, the future generations because they're not going to have the same experience. They're not going to go through the midnight release parties or, or sort of the magic surrounding the, the series as a whole. It's just not going to happen no matter how you try and recreate it. Uh, for them, but another point that I didn't hear brought up was, uh, you know, f- from either side was that these books could be read be read before your children even get to school. So if, if you're worried about, you know, preserving the magic of the series, and just like with with a lot of other fantasy series, um, certainly one thing that could be done was introducing the books to them uh, before, um, the, you know, they would have to encounter them in school. Um, but, but to enjoy it fully, I think you need to read it at, you know. Um at least middle school. Well, I, I think that, I think the problem is that you're going to have a lot, I think you're going to have a lot of people, the fact of the matter is if, if it's mandated that they have to read it, then you're going to have a lot more people who actually do read it and you could gain more interest in the series mm-hmm. because there may be some kids who never, who never would have read it unless it was assigned in English. Right, I agree. Right. right. Um, and, and, I, and I think little kids get turned off by the size of the books. I'll, I mean, my brother's an example of that. I'm sure I know that's not everyone, but um, people look at some of the size of these books and like, ah, oh, I, I can't read all that because they're used to these books where the print is larger um, and there's just less pages. I mean, yeah. Well, and, and I think the other point that was brought up that that was strong was the you know controversial topics should that that shouldn't be a reason why that it that it's left out of of a curriculum. You know, it's whether it's Uncle Tom's Cabin or, or even uh, the Diary of Anne Frank would be another example. Um, you know, not wanting to delve into the whole issue of the Holocaust, and I mean, there's so many different books that you could go through uh, that have those sort of racial undertones or or some sort of controversial issue it's attached to them that um, you know you don't want kids' minds uh, being affected by that. And this, I guess, is more of a religious issue uh, than anything else. But I, I still don't think that that's a reason to keep it out of, of children's hands and, and being taught because there's so many things within the series itself, I think, that can be taught and are being taught even today at a lot of different colleges and universities. So um, if I had to make a decision, even, you know, I'm trying to stay nonpartisan as, as 
you know the the media always does and um you know um that was yeah a bad attempt at a joke but well good point <laughs> you brought up um, points I, I would have to say that that it should be um not the series as a whole but you know if one of the books possibly mandated uh, for kids to read and then let, leave it up to the to the kids. Sure. The, yeah. the children, do you want to explore it further? And then that's yeah. your choice. That's a good middle ground. All right. Well, that does it for our debate and uh, that actually wraps up our show for yeah. this wonderful 160 milestone. And let me just say, I didn't agree with anything I said. I was yeah, just me too. Arguing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> because I know I people think... are going to so, be like, Laura, you hate, you hate education. Uh, I said I would have to side with you and Elisa um, based yes. on the debate. I think I'm undefeated in these things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm be... sure that there's plenty of stuff that people are going to send in both about the debate and if J.K. Rowling were a man. So Definitely. Like, <laughs> I, 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 just, I just think that the uh, point is that education shall overcome everything yeah and we need education we shall overcome education all okay. right e. uh it's been a great show uh happy halloween everyone happy election happy day halloween. Thank no, on you. Proposition eight. um ben i hope you've enjoyed for, your time uh, in the mugglecast studio yeah thanks for welcoming me back with open arms everybody laura always been it's been great elisa lisa it's been great <laughs> Way to remember your co-host It's good to be uh, be a member of the the senior staff now with you, Ben. I can't I know. say enough right up about there. He's on the same level. Your endorsement of you know my that staff strongly like supports a, the decision. First senior staff, yeah. next Tannen Bomb sixteen, <laughs> two thousand sixteen. <laughs> I'm running oh. this campaign. Well, uh, Ben and I have to go because we're actually going to go to Wizard Rock show. Potter, it's a Potter in Day love for us. with a girl at the Warrock show. We're going <laughs> Wizard Rock with a W. Thank Warrock. you very much. Warrock. We're going to go see the Remus Lupins and Ministry of Magic. Yes. Is that the crazy yes. Voldemort dude? It is. <laughs> it is. So we're looking forward to it. He's uh, not crazy. He's actually quite a nice guy, Micah. But... Yeah, he's cool. He's well, I, make, cool. I make crazy in a in a good way. You know, like a cool, hip kind of way. All right. Well, uh, if you would like to send something to our P.O. Box, Ben. Oh, no. Sorry, Laura. What's the P.O. Box? <laughs> P.O. Box 223 Matters Gate. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's uh, P.O. Box 3151, Coming, Georgia 30028. You can also use the MuggleCast hotline to give us a call. If you're in the United States, you can dial 1 218 Magic. If you're in the United Kingdom, you can dial 020 8144 And if you're in Australia, you can dial 02 or your Skype the username MuggleCast, but remember, no matter how you call us, just remember to keep your uh, message under 60 seconds and eliminate as much background noise as possible. And don't forget, you can also visit MuggleNet.com slash feedback to use our feedback form, since we could never get the MuggleCast one working properly. I don't know why. Yeah, it's weird. We gave up. So It just broke out of the blue, didn't it? Yeah. There's people. There's people on the staff. Mike, you get that working. You're senior staff now. All right. Responsible. Where's Dave? All right. I think that wraps up the show. That uh, wraps. That's a wrap. And don't forget the community outlets, but you all know them. The MySpace, Facebook, the Facebook. Last Forum Forums, Fan Listing. Follow us on Twitter. Twitter. Andrew Trying is to get ben so Twitter. excited for tonight. <laughs> He's going to go to the Warrock Show. I'm going to tweet that right now. So excited for tonight. Laura, are you coming out for the Warrock Show? Yeah, I'm actually going to like... Go down to BWI as soon as I finish here, and I'll be there in a, like three hours, four hours. Yeah. 
All right, guys. Once again, so, so, so wrap it up. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And I'm Elisa Montfort. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next time for episode 161. Bye-bye. Muggle Cast 160 is in the can. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Leo said, right? Uh, Micah, what's in the news this week? Hold on, that that was bad. That was lay it on me, Micah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said. Okay, that's all. (laughs) You think of anything? No, (laughs) Snape. Snape's greasy. I'm having a good time in the MuggleCast news studio. <laughs> Actually, that's in New York. I need, I want to go visit the, the news center. Micah, do you have a sweet setup? I just I have a headset and a MacBook. It's not that exciting. Oh, oh, damn. <laughs> I, I I don't get you know the uh, the layout that Andrew does with the. Uh... Well, Andrew has announcements to make. Andrew, go ahead and tell him what. Andrew's gonna be buying everybody soundboards. Oh, really? Great. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <microphones. That's> <laughs> They're in the mail, so... <laughs> You'll see them soon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this last blooper requires a brief setup. Uh, we recorded the episode successfully, and the reason that this show was delayed was because we accidentally lost um, Elisa's audio. Um, so she had to re-record her voice. So I don't know if any of you could tell, but uh, she actually wasn't... Uh, when she spoke in this episode, she wasn't speaking live. Uh, she was when we recorded, but we lost her recording, so she had to re-record everything that she said. So this is the little message she she attached to the end of her audio file after she finished recording and heard the final goodbye on the show. Hope you enjoy. Yes! I'm done! Oh, and a cracker. Oh my god, that was painful. Oh god. God bless you, Andrew. I don't. I don't know if there's another human being on this planet that could make me do that. That was ridiculous. Okay. Anyway, this is completely unrelated to the show, so I'm ending this now. Bye. <laughs>